What's going on, everybody? Trey Llewellyn here with Commerce Kings. So we got Vinny Fisher on the call. If you've not read the CEO's Mindset, this is the guy. This is uh, it's that's it is an amazing, absolutely amazing book. I should have actually put it up here. That would have been that was kind of rude of me. I got it there for you. Yeah. So you got at least we got it on one of the screens. That's okay. good. That's good. Uh, good publicity right there. So Vinny, I got some questions. I'm excited to have you on here. Preview. Uh, just saying thanks for being on here. But I wanna I wanna dig in. Of because you're doing a lot hey, of things. Before you dig in, I want to say one thing. Okay. I've known you, like, I'm like one of these guys that's been around a while, right? But I've known you since when you really started out in the early days. And to watch the things you've done and how you've set the bar higher and higher in the e commerce space, I couldn't be personally any prouder. And you should be for yourself and the success of you and your team. So I feel extremely honored to be here today and see the massive success you've had and literally watch you grow up the whole way from no, basically no UPS to multiple ones pulling up in the backyard. So thanks for coming <laughs> today. Really want to say that. Pretty good. It's been good times, right? So that's interesting. So what were you doing Let's see, that was about three years ago, three to four years ago now. So what were you doing at that time? Yeah, so my journey was, you know, I was a, I'm a lawyer, right? So I came out of this world. I got introduced to uh, the digital world through a client. I then opened up a really large hosting company. We took Brainhost and freewebsite.com and exploded it, put our name on the map, sold off a piece of it, massively broke the other part of it. And then we moved into the supplement world. And I really grew up a large company called Consumer's Choice, uh, sold off to a brand, and then moved into what is now fully accountable, which provides outsourced accounting into what started in the supplement industry. And we've grown massively in e-commerce and high-based uh, transactions that work online and the agencies that work with them. And there we've been massively growing a organization that's got I don't know, I think 70 people in it now servicing that niche. And this year we launched a program to help accounting professionals do what we do in their niche. What does what fully accountable do? So it's an outsourced model for accounting. It does full service advisory services to e-commerce companies and to digitally based businesses. That's our world. We don't live anywhere else. We're industry experts. All of our accountants are credentialed and, and deal with all of the advisory aspects that help someone like you run your business. Not like we're not worrying about florists or tire shops or accountants. We, as a service, we only work with that type of business, the e-commerce internet-based business. Okay. And so other accounting professionals, our advice is to niche down. Not to be so noisy and like you just work with all small businesses. Well, when we started to really, truly make that impact, and I write about that in CEO's Mindset, that niching down gives you the privilege to scale up. That's pretty cool. In our e-commerce customers. I just had a client the other day who's got a wonderful um, healthcare beauty line. But they're really an oral care company with 80 SKUs doing all this other stuff. Well, we're really been fighting with them for a couple of years to get rid of all the SKUs and only focus on their oral care or they're listening and they're exploding. Wow. Isn't that cool? Yeah. That's amazing. So uh, what size company is fully accountable good for? Like below a million, a million, 10, 10, 10, 20. Yeah. So we probably fall in line with the small business statistics where our sweet spot falls in that million to 25 million. When you really okay. dial it down, we probably have a mass clump of clients between three and $10 million. Okay. Under a million dollars and you work with us, you're actually probably not an e-commerce company or highly based transaction or you're close 
you're probably one of the agencies who's healthy servicing them. So if you're actually e-commerce or high transaction and you're either not getting to a million soon or really on your way or over it, then you don't work with us. You're just too small and you should be at like things like bench or some places that, you know, you just need, you have other issues that need to grow up. If you're with us and you're below that, then you're probably an agency that works with one of those types of companies. Oh, that's cool. I remember when I walked in my CPA office and he's like, Hey, so we need to do the taxes for last year. I was like, Oh, that's cool. I was like, perfect. I got it all right here. And, uh, and I, I was pulling up Excel documents yeah. of how I tracked, uh, our income and our, and our profits <laughs> and our revenue. Basically yeah. I had, I don't know, maybe like seven lines of, of just stuff. I was just like, well, here's where our PayPal stuff is. Here's where our, our, our bank account looks like. Here's our refunds. I didn't even know if I had that. And here's right. kind of a, our profit. And he's like, okay, well, what about your line items? What about your P&L? And what about your balance sheet? All terms, I was like, what? Like, what, you, what, what language are we speaking? Because I know Excel. I'm like, you know, I was in engineering school. I know math. I'm like, I got the same numbers, I think. But I tell you what, we, we installed an accountant, probably a firm because we didn't know about you, and installed it into our office. And I tell you what, like learning about a P&L and learning how to read it mm-hmm. and learning about what, like the story it tells and then how you can go in depth, totally worth it. So I don't know what you're... Yeah, and by the way, for your guests as a gift, I would be delighted to give either or both of our books out to them. I absolutely am on a mission to help small businesses double their profit margin and truly excel. So anybody of your listeners who want that, just reach out. We'll be delighted to give it to them. And one of the things I love that you said, Trey, is this idea of the language. You yeah. Speak different languages. It, you know, I'm not an accountant. I opened this business because of a massive problem I had in my large companies. Right. I was doing over 10 million a month in revenue and I had absolutely no connection to the numbers. I was totally blind. So you had no heartbeat. Growing like crazy, right? And I realized we speak different languages. Owners like you and I, we speak the language of revenue. And in the finance and accounting world, they speak actually the language of business. So finding a way to marry those is when really business starts to uh, excel, thrive, grow, right? Like, did you have like a big aha? Like, what was, what was your big aha when, you, when, when you're going, or biggest struggle? Because you're doing 10 million a month, you saw your revenue, you're like, hey, we must be doing great. But like, what was the big moment where you're like, well, maybe we're not doing as great as we thought? Yeah, it's actually, I wrote about it in the book too. And, oh, did you? <laughs> and by the way, I'll tell about it because it's real. It's because I think the more people like you and I with some notability can be honest and transparent, people can maybe follow right examples and do things correctly. I literally, we were doing um, at Brainhost, which was a web hosting company that did fractional, basically, you know, buying shared servers, right? Clustering big, you know, we had almost 500 employees, big company, doing 50 million in revenue. And I literally got our, our report and I saw our cash. I thought, great. I had an assumption of what our margin was. Well, when we actually went in and did some audited financials and really got into the books, we found out that our assumption of a margin of 5% positive, we were running at a 5% negative. And the ugliness of that business is that all of our contracts were extended. So I literally woke up with a $10 million deficit because of a fatal assumption. And we just were looking at cash going, there's more money in the bank. I'm doing good. And next (laughs) we grew ourselves into basically insolvency. Wow. So, so you're growing so fast that you didn't realize it was a negative company. 
And I was worse. I was willing to pay affiliates for the acquisition cost and oh. give all the dollars because of the signups. So mm -hmm. I, based on that fatal assumption, I was willing to pay my affiliates as much as I had 22,000 affiliates at one point, And I was paying them the equivalent of $125 to acquire a customer when I should have been paying them 110. And my assumption was fatal. Wow. That's an amazing. That's an amazing. So, so how'd you turn it around? Uh, I didn't. I sold it for parts. Oh, well, there you go. So I was arrogant enough to turn down a letter of intent to sell it for twenty-eight million because I thought I was going to take it to big numbers. And uh, I, 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 a lesson of leadership that I also expose, which I'm happy to discuss. I, I was arrogant enough to think that the business was more established than the things I did for it. Handed it off and nosedived it. So how do you put a team in place to run a $50 million business? You know, I, I think there's a lot of stuff out there. There's some really great people advocating some really cool things. A simple principle I would say is I don't think enough people are hiring for soft skills and then training for technical skills. So an executive team is more critical than anything that the soft skills work. So one of the things I've always known about you, I'll highlight, is you're just really nice. People like being around you, you're, you're considerate. You might be aloof and off all over the place, but you're just nice. Well, if you come into my place, that's a critical component. Like, you're just not jerky. You're just not hard to be around. You're, and so um, there's some critical components that are important for our executive team about, you know, being nice. We don't yell. At all costs, character is more important than reputation. These are, like, values that matter to me. And so we use those to hire soft skills, and then we train the stuff that's missing technically. Wow. And so how did, how did you figure all that out? Like what, what did you go through to figure out who to hire? How'd you find them? And then like to grow, cause like to grow a $50 million company, you can really quickly make it feel like quicksand in your hands. Like you just lose it. You got to have a team in place. Yeah, I lost it wonderfully. Um, and, you know, thankfully, I've grown another one since, and we did a better job at that one, sold off. And we're in the process of doing it again, which is exciting. And um, I, what, what I, the, the real first hard knocks answer is I was a poor kid and I actually was trying to prove to the world that I was awesome, that I actually didn't seek mentoring advice. I just went out and did all this stuff on my own. And so a couple of thousand employees later, I learned patterns of really bad decisions. Looking back now, it blows my mind that people don't have mentors or coaches who are experts in what they're trying to do. Yeah. It, I, I, I look back, I now want to point down to the front row of my award I get someday and give all the credit to the people who are helping to, to get me there. I just did it the extremely hard way. And people like you are trying to help commerce people not have to do it extremely the hard way. And I hope they listen. What do what you, so how do you find a good mentor? Like, how do you, like, you're like, okay, I need mentoring in uh, executive leadership and how to hire correctly. What did you do? Like, you did Google leadership? Uh, mentor? Like, how'd you start finding one? Network. I would encourage people to work purposely at creating network, but I probably leaned there first for people I trust. What is and, it? Creating network? Well, I lean, well, lean on your network. Everyone oh, has. Oh, lean on your network. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? I start there. I don't typically go to full stranger. I tend to like to work through the struggles of life with uh, people that I align with. So I, I like recommendations and referrals. Who doesn't, right? Um, yeah. well, I start there. Uh, but I think mentoring is like anything else. Like we had four times that we had to strike out hiring a CFO for our core company before we found what is now my business partner in growing this business. And so you strike out. I think unfortunately people look at mentoring and coaching as when they get burned once they're done with it. I, I think you're, you're going to, it's an affinity thing. 
I remember as a lawyer being fired by a client that I was doing a great job for. We just didn't connect. I remember a great lesson that her name was Diane. She taught me that you're not always going to connect with people and you're better off finding where someone's helping you. And there are lots of very technically proficient people. So it's that soft skill again. Man, that's amazing. All right. So, all right. We haven't, we've just been talking here. I haven't even gotten anything yet. <laughs> we haven't even gotten to the deep stuff. All right. So what about, oh, there went Einstein. What about, uh, he's back. What about something that's totally, yeah, he's over here thinking. He's always thinking, you know, <laughs> sometimes, sometimes when I'm really bored, they just talk to each other and they, like, he's got the money. He's thinking, that's nice. you see him. He's not even the camera. There we go. That's what's going on. So real quick, what, what's like a time where, cause you've obviously been extremely successful and with success, no one ever sees the struggles. Mm. What, what's been, what was one time that like your lowest, do you remember like a time where it was the only, the only way up, the only way was up, right? You're so low that you couldn't even go lower. So I, uh, it's funny. I, I realized that I think one of the best things as men and, and women is to be open about these struggles or they start becoming these identity markers in your life that you're a fraud and you're alone. And if, no, if someone figures me out, I'm holy cow, what it's going to happen to me. Well, I, I remember one of those moments. Once again, I wrote about it, but I'm happy to discuss it because <laughs> it's the real. I, I, I was leading at the time a church group, like a small group in my home. And I was pulling into the driveway and I'm sitting in the driveway and it's right after this realization that I, I discover this massive deficit in money. And I start thinking about how much I owe the IRS and how am I going to work it out with vendors? And I absolutely refused to go and solve it. And I was convinced that my wife and I were going to fight for character over reputation and just fight through all this. And I was sitting in the driveway and I needed $30,000 to make payroll. Or we were done. And I was at this point, Trey, I'm the hot shot. I won marketer of the year twice in a row. I'm on big stages getting all these things. I'm all over the place. Everyone's like, any fish of this, any fish of that. And I'm 30 broke. And I'm like, holy crap. I get a phone call from my accountant, Kristen, at the time, who said, Hey, were we expecting a check from ClickBank? I'm like, and I, by the way, I'm in the driveway praying about like, do I go tell everybody I'm an extreme fraud? What do I even say to these people in this room that any concept of how much money we're talking about? What am I even going to say to anybody? I'm just a loser. What am I going to say? And so I, I'm like, all right, Lord, help me figure this out. And then she calls me and says, Hey, we just got a check for $30,100. Do you want me to make payroll? And the point that I'm telling is the next thing that happened. I sat for a second felt like a year and thought about the idea of throwing that money in my personal bank account and kind of restarting or literally answer the, what was just happening to me, put the money in, make the payroll and actually fight the next fight the next day after the sun comes up. Chose option two. And I look back at that extremely deep moment as one of the best things that's ever happened. Yeah. It's amazing. It's crazy. It's like, it's, it's real. It's real, you know? And, uh, those are, those are the driving factors because you, you see that and I'm you go emotionally even talking to you about it. I'm reliving it. I'm like, Oh, it's like, Holy cow. Like that crap happens. And it, <laughs> and, and that's why I love like shows like yours, Trey, because there are people who are literally experiencing parts of this stuff. I oh. remember once you put up a post about like truck number two of the UPS going out. <laughs> you were also anxious about whether you were going to fill all those orders and like, yeah, 
people need to see because they want to see our version three of where we're at now and they want to replicate that and season one is hard season one season zero sucks and then and then like season like 2.0 gets in there and that's like even a rough cage and then you like mm-hmm. pop out but it's a word like you know it's the visual of the of the entrepreneur of going through the circles and ups and downs is, is real but i think a lot of people just look at that and they're like oh yeah that's true but it, there's some real hard truth to that and mm-hmm. You know, you've proven it because in order, it's weird how that works, but in order to become successful, you got to go through those damn failures, which sucks. And it, there's a lot of, my, a mentor of mine, Carl White, always talked about all the skeletons on the path that you and I are on. And we can choose, we can make a choice, like you said. Choice number one is to stop in right here and just kind of lay down and, and become a skeleton. Or we can kind of keep on, on going in that path of the direction that we want to head and become the person we want to be or have the dreams or have the light the so your, your mentor is a friend of mine and oh, one carl? of my favorite things that carl taught me is this idea of unfinished bridges yes. i do that every day in my life i am i love me some carl white at all times mm-hmm. and we we early on met way back in years ago in a, in a group ryan dice runs called war room and um we've been friends ever since great mentor yep. great guy I love, I love Carl. So he, he was actually on this podcast and he, I made him do the bridge. Oh, cool. So we'd actually on this board right behind me as we went through this. So if you guys haven't watched that episode, you need to go see that one too. Oh, let you go. Anything Carl White talks about, you'd need to digest that because the guy's about as real and raw as it gets. Yeah. He's like, he's just, he reminds me of an uncle. Like he's a great uncle. I wish everybody had an uncle Carl White. It'd be. So I'm sitting at a, a conference table back when we were together on <laughs> And somebody asked me a question about a partner fight he's having. And you know, they always ask the lawyer, right? How do I deal with it? What do I do? Carl sits down and goes, you know, no one really talks about how to keep cancer in your body. They talk about how to cut it out. <laughs> away. It was great. It's like such a Carl bit of advice, but he was right. Carl is always right. That's yeah. amazing. All right. So, so then what keeps you, so you're at your, you're in your driveway uh, you just get a check from ClickBank. Thank good, thank goodness for them. What what keeps you motivated? Like how? What keeps you motivated to write these books? Like I've tried to write a book, dude. It is I can't. I mean, I can, but I don't want to. It's tough. So I salutes to you for being able to do it. They actually the literally they bled out of me. I, it's a funny thing. Like it, they the first one I wrote was a, a personal kind of inspection. I really got like identity, personal, what's your value in my thing called the best investment, a better you. And in there, I get extremely raw, way rawer than those other two, but it just bled out of me. And, um, the, 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 it's a job. I got up every day and was writing. Uh, I, I did each of them a little differently, uh, in how I did them. Cause I like to test things. I'm a marketer. I split test how you do stuff. What's the highest efficient use of my time. Um, but I actually didn't really, they're a little bit cleansing, I think an author, if they're honest, they write them for themselves first. Okay. And the gift is giving them out to other people so that you can share that journey and experience and help others with exactly the same issues that they're going through that you went through. Mm-hmm. That for me is the perspective of being honest about it as an author. But honestly, you know, people like to write a book as a business card or a, a notability statement. But if you really dive into the depth of, of books, if, 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 if it's missing an identity, it's because I never really got true to the fact that I'm, I'm writing about something that needed to be solved and is or in the process of always being solved in my own life and sharing it with others. That's amazing. Yeah, I have like I was were you good in, in school, like high school at English? Uh, 
you know, it's funny. I, I've always been a been able to verbally process a lot faster than most people, but my writing skills absolutely sucked. And a lawyer now in law school critiqued me about how bad of a writer I was. And he just took me under his wing a little bit and showed me about passive writing and syntax and stuff. So like anything, it just took practice. You know, I was never yeah. a copywriter writing our copy for us until I did it. And so I just got better at it. Yeah, and that's amazing. I still actually hand my stuff to editors because I, they're just going to make it better. They make it great. Because I, I have had my English paper in. I was in college and I had to write a 15-page a jujitsu. I don't know, whatever. Yeah. And I handed in and I swear to you, I, I swear I gave it to him with white paper and I got it back and the paper had turned red, like complete <laughs> red. And I was just like, wow, like I am really awful at writing. And so maybe that's my, my, my limiting belief of writing books. Cause I've tried, I put stuff on paper and then I'm like, Oh man. So it's, it's interesting to hear your two concepts of you write it for yourself. So I think that's a mindset piece. I always said, I always told myself if I'm going to write a book, It'd be writing for my children to learn. Mm. And so they could read that and be a, be a part and maybe give them some advice. I don't know. Now, by the way, I want to I jump down on that because I okay. love that. Okay. I will say this, that the content and quality of my book has to stand the principle of time. So that when my children read it, that yeah. they know that dad embodies character over reputation. So there's just things that I'm going to not do or say or be a, a lacking my level of what I consider appropriate in my books because I actually hope and humbly believe that my children will read this stuff and it's going to be a, a, a view into my heart. Yeah, it's pretty cool, isn't it? Yep. All right. So what is your, what is your number one source of income right now? Uh, so we own multiple businesses, but I only believe in running one. So I make nice revenues from things that we've built that other people run. So that's awesome. But by far, uh, the operation of Fully Accountable is the largest growing enterprise with the uh, a profit margin and growing. And it is our enterprise. I make a decent living off of our mastermind, but I'm not trying to grow it as one. Uh, it's just like kind of like an incubator group. And uh, we own an SEO company and we have uh, an interest in um, a couple other businesses that are really not within our thing and a media company. And so those are all run by other people, but started and created kind of with my mind think behind it. But our, the vast majority of, 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 by the way, the revenue that I pay attention to is, is this company and what it does. What, what, what profit percentage because I need to read the second book. I've only gotten through the CEO's mindset. What profit are you looking for in a $50 million company? What, what would be? I, I actually, can I change and help change that question for you? Because I actually think yep. it's not the right question. And so okay. um, I think you have to look at your industry. Okay. And you have to first look at your industry to understand what a baseline of what, a, what the industry sees as what would be a target for your, um, for your margin. So for example, an e-commerce company, and I will pick on my service company too, but an e-commerce company, and, and by the way, I'm willing to give this out. We actually created a kind of a, a little kind of sheet for e-commerce companies. If you're an Amazon business, if you're Shopify, if you do just direct response off of your CPA, and each of them have target margins. And, and we wrote about that in the book as well. And so a supplement business that does high leverage, high risk, high arbitrage CPA, which is customer acquisition, uh, looks more like a 10% margin. Something that looks almost full FBA fulfillment and is staffed correctly is probably in the 25% margin. Now, some of those margins are substantially impacted by the reserves your banks require you to cover and some other things, 
in a service company, in the industry of accounting, it's one of the higher margins. It should, at its utopian running level, be at like 33%. Fully's probably more in the 24 and a half, 25%. Some of that's because that friction of always growing more with staff, you know, kind of some of that stuff. And that's, you got to know that about where you are in your growth curve. Um, and so I would say it's not the revenue size, it's the industry you're in. And then to add to your question, what revenue mark are you at? Because a business that's in above a million dollars going towards 10 is looking at different margin structures than that one that's in like 8 million about to go to 15. Because one of the things I learned in business is you have these natural resets happening in your business. Like getting to seven figures is, is a big deal. Only 4% of companies in America get there. And then once you go above seven figures and beyond, you start having to deal with, um, you know, staff and supply chain and services and dilution well, all of, and systems and structure. Well, all of that eats away at margin. And then when you get to a, a critical mass of like 10 million, you start that whole thing all over again. And so at 50 million, you would have transgressed three cycles, zero to one, zero to one, yep. 1 million to 10, 10 to 25. And then at 25 to 50, which has its own host of dynamics and introduction of capital and locations and, supply chain chain demand and whether or not people even the company even know you as the founder anymore like so many other things that go in there but it still starts inside that industry and whether or not you're 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 building off of a target or a baseline so one of the things we recommend is that you actually in your finances um we do this with all of our clients is that you have a a target or a baseline of your industry based on what your labor should look like, what your cost of goods should look like, what you're acquiring your customers should look like, what your revenue and what your net margin line should look like vis-a-vis -vis all those other intangibles. And so that's the way you can answer that question if you go out and tackle it, understanding what industry you're in first. That's amazing. So do you, do you classify profit as before the CEO is paid, the owner, or after? Yeah, so there's gross revenue, right? Yeah. There's adjusted gross revenue, which is how much, what adjustments do I have to make the revenue to acquire the customer? Then there's indirect expenses, the cost it takes for employees to run a business and, and your rent. And But the gold tooth fund where I'm stealing from the business because I just can't help myself and run my bank account through as the business owner and all that, that to me, if you're looking at EBITDA or value at the bottom, should be normalized to see what your real profit is. And then that should kind of come under the bottom. But I did, I wrote about this, like in here, listen, let me tell you something I really care about. If you aren't paying yourself first in running your business, then you're lying to yourself about the margin in the company. Mm. If you don't, are you are not a line item in your salary and you're an operator, then there's potentially a false profit. And I would argue that, that you got to work at that. And so I kind of lay that out for you again, give it to anybody who wants it is this idea of how to really peg the margin that is in your business. And then what are you going to do to, to fundamentally grow back more margin? Because we all talk about more money in the bank and cash flow is critical, but uh, your margin of profit is really the win in this whole thing. Yeah, of course. That's what it duh. Because the grow, you need cash. But you can have cash in my example of my life where I ruined my business and have no margin for profit when it's all said and done. The oh. tsunami just caught up to me. Yep. Yeah, I was looking at, so interesting enough is I had a friend, friend's business that I was looking at and I, I got all the statements and it was pretty wild to see he was doing 
a little over a million, I think, per month. Huh? And but that was the in, inbound, and then just the outbound was around a million. Yeah. Per month. And so it's like, it looks great. You got a twelve million dollar business. It's fantastic, but you're also whoop, out twelve million. And and uh, and it's really like it's really interesting, Vinny. Like when you talk about it, when you think about it, because someone who's running a ten million or yeah, ten million dollar business. You think it would be extremely simple just to add a 1% margin in there uh, to collect, right? Yeah. All the, pro- like they've, they, all the profits are used up that there isn't even a 1% to collect on it. It's just, it's boggling, mind-boggling. Well, you know, part of it is really one of my favorite skills. I just love marketing. And the problem that can happen in marketing is if you don't know who you are actually truly prospecting, all of our friends out there are doing this stuff like know your customer, who's your avatar, all this. And when you actually look at what we're doing, we market so horribly that, you know, 43% of the businesses that close have absolutely a tragic marketing plan. And we're just shoving dollars in the toilet bowl of blowing it, trying to acquire more customers. And that is usually 43% of the time, according to the Harvard study, that that's what closes a business. And so you know, it, it's, it's us, you know, we're the, we're the juice behind growing this thing, but we're also a lot of times the juice behind crushing it. Yeah. Yeah. So what would you, how would you answer this question? So let's say like, cause I've seen this too is on a coaching side, let's say, cause you're coach, uh, let's say you make a million dollars from your coaching, um, program, Yep. but then you're making $2 million a year on your $50 million company. Yep. Right. So sometimes it's like, you know, you, you're either got a mission and you're just like, we're just doing this because I want to save the world. Uh, or you have, man, this, it's going to take me so much more work and effort and time and all this other stuff to grow fully accountable per se, and only make double what I make with coaching when I can serve and, and, and contribute and give more and give more back to these 50 clients or hundred clients or whatever in a mastermind. So how would you, how do you position that in your mind? Yeah. So I love that. That is such a great question because it really means you're thinking about the bigger picture here. Yeah. So some of it isn't just cash flow, right? So if, if, by the way, I'm not sure just to be fully transparent that a business, unless it's a not-for-profit should be void of margin. Meaning, I just want to say real quick before I get into my full answer, that a business for profit has a fiduciary obligation to be in business for profit. So <laughs> saving the world, go do it in a not-for-profit. So if we're going to have an honest business discussion and look at math and you and I run businesses that are for profit and we aren't ashamed that we make a profit and we're working really hard to maximize the market demand of that profit, with that in mind, because I just had to say that. With that in mind, I look at, let's say fully accountable, right? Uh, it's, it's got a good margin. I don't actually work with our clients, our actual accounting team and the, in, in the, in, in the process and the structure. Fine. That business has its own margin, but it's also an operating business with structure, with systems, with, with a whole process. My coaching practice, which has really kind of trapped me into it a little bit, it's kind of built around me. And built around maybe even some coaches I've built, or maybe I built out some students. Maybe I've gotten a little good at maybe expanding it. So the net asset value of fully accountable 
is far greater than the net asset value of my coaching business. So if I'm building something with kind of legacy or depth to it, someone will buy fully accountable with a much greater multiple than they would ever buy where I'm trapped into a coaching business. So I love the coaching business because it creates cash flow and lets me go on these rock star vacations and be generous and help people in my life and wonderful. But I actually don't look at that as a business that I would ever take and have multi-legacy to it because it's got fundamental problems with that. But I'm building Fully Accountable to literally be a business that someday, whether I have the privilege to take it there in the late eight figures or someone else does, it, it's going to have a five or six multiple attached to whatever uh, column of value we attach to it. So, okay, so to bring that back down. And by the way, just a full circle and get paid along the way. Like I don't think a business should like dreamingly try to sell it and not get paid along the way. You yeah, yeah. Go. So you're you're building an asset to sell, is what you're. And get paid now too. And get and to get paid now. Yes. Right. Now this is a cool other topic too. This is kind of fun to talk about as well. Yeah. I think a lot of people getting into the entrepreneur uh, mindset is they're always cons- they're always uh, looking at how much the business is going to pay me because at the beginning you're the only hat anyway. So you're always collecting hat. And I'll tell you a story is I was talking to this one guy, he made stickers with us. And I said, man, I said, you could, you could really do some, some damage with your sticker business. Cause you got it all going. You got, you know, all stuff. and I said, why don't you hire employees? Like, why don't you have someone else making the stickers? I was like, that seems like a waste of time. And he leans over and he goes, that sounds like profit sharing to me. And I was like, wow. Like he just, he wasn't up for it. Right. But then you have the people who are up for it. And then becomes the challenge when you, you, get, you, you hire, let's say, a sales guy. Mm-hmm. Have this sales guy, and he performs at a, at a great rate, so much so that he makes more than you. Awesome. And that, I think, is a really interesting uh, yeah. dilemma, right? Because it's set like your mindset goes crazy and a lot of entrepreneurs or they weren't ready for that or they didn't even think that was possible. And now they're stroking a check to someone who didn't build the company. They're just in a seat that I gave them and I'm paying them more than even I make. Like what is going on? And so revenge, I think, instills uh, or maybe, maybe uh, the jealousy and jealousy. Like, and- what a, what, like most people don't even talk. Like, I don't even think I've ever talked about that or even brought that up, but I think you'd be a great person to bring that up to because it exists. Oh. It totally exists. And I remember the first time my dad said some, some years he makes more than the CEO of the company that he works for. I was like, what? Like, that's a thing. Like that's possible. And well, um, I think there's yeah. two things, right? So I have a sales director and I hope that Cameron makes, I have a salary for Fully Accountable, and I hope that he makes more than that salary with bonus and all that great yeah. stuff. Because I have two roles. I'm, if I'm running a business for margin, then I have two roles. I have today's version of the profit of equity that's left above my salary that comes to me quarterly or annually, and I'm building net asset value that that person isn't building. Right. The problem, and I think great point, I'm going to make, you make two of them. If some guy like said profit sharing, I think you, if you're somebody who first off acknowledges you'll never be more profitable or have a better, easier running business than when it's just you yourself providing what you provide. The problem becomes, first off, if that's true, accept that you have a high paying job because you don't have anything else. You don't have a company. Right. And once you stop, it stops. Right. If you want to grow beyond your shadow, 
You have to invest in some of those things. But along the way, like I did, we start lying to ourselves that we invest in it for this false growth. And all of a sudden, people are making money. I'm making none. And I'm not building a business that truly is sellable to somebody else. That's the trifecta of disaster that happens in small business. And that's the one that where all those feelings of like, what the, like I, I remember in our hosting business, I thought to myself, all the affiliates, which is my sales team, made all the money. Yeah. I didn't any. What the heck happened? This equity thing was complete crap. And, um, and so that's why if a business has margin and is growing and is putting structure and system and investing in those things, well, then a sales guy having a year where he did better just makes it better for you, the owner, because you're building up a paycheck and equitable value. Yeah, that's pretty cool. That's a great answer. I love that. All right. So I only got maybe time. We haven't even like dissected any, any questions. It's hilarious. This has been a great conversation, by the way. Oh, thanks. You're uh, let's see. What, what would you say is your biggest challenge today? Yeah. So, you know, I, I have at Fully Accountable, we have a great product and a great service. We keep people, we're above industry standards on how long you stick around, all exciting stuff. We, we have never built a purposeful sales culture. It's hilarious that I've grown a business in deep seven figures. We're not eight figures yet. And um, we have a wonderful enterprise and we didn't have a sales culture. We just leaned on my Rolodex and we kind of let referrals and things go. Well, last year we started really putting some purposeful prospecting things in place. Hmm. We still didn't have a sales culture. And so now today, my biggest um, thing that we're working on, because we have um, supply, demand, we have structure, we have ratio of hiring and training to people and all those wonderful things in place. We, um, we have to literally go back and add a sales culture so much so that I have, our company has, I think one client in Northeast Ohio. Most businesses grow locally, kind of pound the door, build a Rolodex and then grow outside of that. We've done such a great job growing digitally and in honestly, embarrassingly so without a sales culture. So we're now having to inject that into our business thankful we're doing that. Um, but it's, it's a lot of work. And, um, if you are an awesome salesperson and you want an awesome sales role with a really cool company, call me. Oh yeah. Call Vinny. Call Vinny. <laughs> that's, that's the part that quite honestly, um, we have to work at and we have to be better at it. And we have to think about how those metrics are driven. And it's, it's the weak point of our business. That's amazing. That's amazing. So, all right, last question. Then we got to go behind the scenes. Where, where do you currently park your cash? Do you do investments? Do you do real estate? Are you just holding it in a bank account? Do you invest it back in your business? What's, yes. What's your so, uh, I've got a couple real estate investment trusts that I've parked some money in because I like the returns that these, some of these flippers and stuff people are getting. So I'm in one or two of those and I okay. kind of like the 12% returns I'm getting. So I've got some money parked there. I took an old 401k converted into a self-directed fund and sitting in an IRA. And I took that, some of that money and parked it into what I call micro businesses where I make these sub $50,000 investments on an idea I know is going to work. Go find someone I'm willing to invest in an operator, let them grow up to have a chunk of the business. And that's those three or four businesses I talk about. We own that other people run. So I love doing that. I'll do 50 more of those. If people have ideas and they want to partner, give me a call. Um, those are great. 
Um, I also, um, uh, I'm in the business, uh, currently wanting to do some commercial investment for real estate. I like that. I don't want to go super long in any area. I absolutely believe you have to have cash. Like I actually, Trey, of all those things I just described, I'm thankful I have them. I have life insurance. I have whole value. I've, I've diversified. I've got a 401k retirement plan. I've got those things in place. But I actually define literally my like net worth by cash in the bank. It's, by cash in the bank. No, is listen. I'm not sitting here being your financial advisor. I'm just telling you what happens to any Fisher. Like if the cash on hand gets low, I start to freak the freak out. So <laughs> I just, maybe it's because of some of the business disruptions I've had and yeah. the highs and lows. And so yeah. I, I, I watch that. Um, I'm, I'm in this stage in my life with my kids where I'm trying to fight against the poverty mindset to not buy all the things just because you can. And what does it look like to take a dollar and turn it and be a good steward of it and turn it into more dollars? Mm-hmm. So uh, I'm kind of practicing diversification. I also do believe in the idea of, of funding my own risk in the growth of our business. So I haven't taken any outside capital to grow. So Deb and I could make more money, um, which is my wife, if we allowed for capitalization another way, but it's just not the way I've grown stuff. So I'm not advocating for or against it. It's just this stage of it. Um, that's another place that we invest uh, capitalization is in our own enterprise. Yeah, I'm the same way. Is I like cash in the bank because it, does, it gives you that ebb and flow yeah. of, man, if, there's, if you're going negative or if you're going positive or one month was really bad, you made, made some bad tests, made some bad options, then you have that cash flow to operate on. Absolutely. I was going to have one more. I, I didn't answer fully. Yeah. fully. No debt. I consider that an investment, right? Okay. Literally, if I want to lay in bed and just watch the sheets crumple and convince my wife to stay in there longer with me, when we, we can. We have the freedom because we don't really owe anyone. We're doing it because we want to, not because we have. Are you talking debt as cars and house as well? Yeah. Okay, so nothing. Do you have a credit card? What's that? Do you have credit cards? I don't hold a thing. I mean, rotate. Like, I might buy something on Amazon, but it's getting paid when the bills do. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, Okay, so yeah, you have credit cards at least. Like, it revolves, yeah, but it never carries a balance. <laughs> I mean, if 17 days is a balance, then yes, for 17 days, okay. I yeah, All right, right, all right, all right. Because some people are like, when they go into that no debt thing, they're like, no credit cards, no nothing. I'm like, well, you got to- well, I experienced this amazing freedom when my wife and I paid off our mortgage that I didn't, int- and now, listen, I get it that some- leverage freak will tell me that I'm hurting interest rates and I can do better with my money. And, and, and please, I don't need the email for you to tell me that. That's true. I know I could probably do more with my money than the hundreds of thousands of dollars that's sitting at the bank in my fake equity in my house. There's freedom in not owing people money. Yeah, I got a, uh, man, I should share it with you, uh, which is a really cool picture. I keep in my glove compartment because it's kind of cool to watch, yep. but it's of a, I think it's of a Canadian bank. I have no clue who it is. Uh, you know, I don't know. Has the last four digits of his account number. <laughs> Anyways, it shows $13 million in his bank account. Mm. And um, underneath that, it shows a deposit of like $305,000 or something. And then he, he writes a letter. So he, he circles the three, $13 million and comes down and he writes this little letter and he goes, basically his first sentence is, this is freedom. Like this is being able to do and have whatever I need to have for the rest of my life. And uh, this is what it is. And this is what I consider freedom. And I was like, it's always cool to see that because like $13 million cash in the bank is something to not hit a stick with. You know, it's like, damn, that's a, that's a nice chunk of just money. That's just boop. Now, another thing. I'll, By the way, I might add that I actually believe that given financial freedom, I really do believe 10 million liquid 
does open up a line of freedom that no one else could understand or experience. So totally agree with you on that. I love that. That's a really good point. It's wild. It's wild. So I love to look at that as just kind of inspiration. Just always. Yeah, I love it. It's a great goal to go for. By the way, you're, you're talking a tenth of a tenth of a tenth of a percent that even gets to that concept. So what a privilege and honor um, to be able to have things going away. I feel extremely humbled to even have the idea of, of those things, like the idea that I can passively talk about no debt and all these diversifications. I, I'm so like beyond blessed to have the ability to do that. It's not even funny. Yeah, you're not average. Not average. <laughs> you know, the average 65-year-old has five, less than 5000 in the bank. That's what they say. Yeah. It's pretty, pretty wild. All right, so has this been great? I'm talking to these guys, but this has been amazing. Thanks, Vinny, for this amazing piece. By the way, uh, where do they get your, I'm assuming Amazon, but your two books, can you flash them on the screen again? Yeah, so they're on Amazon. You can get them. And I'm really serious. You drop me a note at fullyaccountable.com or go to vinnyfisher.com and drop me a note. I'll send them to you. If you want to go buy them and support the Fisher Empire, have at it. Great. Buy them. They're cheap. We try to make them accessible. But I just really care about what's in there more than the 30 cents royalty that Amazon's going to give me for it. Oh, yeah. Good times, right? Profit. All about, all about false profits. Selling on. Anyway, you don't write a book to make money. Yeah. Let me throw that out there. <laughs> That's what everybody says, right? And become a millionaire by writing books. So, all right. So here's what we're going to do is everybody say bye to Vinny. We're going to flip the screens, go behind the scenes. I got a couple more questions, some deep thought stuff we're going to discuss and then uh, we'll be back so thank you Vinny for being on here thanks brother